This is Pivotal Tracks, a show about musicians and the song that kickstarted their love of music. My name is Madison Ray. I'm a musician, songwriter, producer, actor. I don't know. The, the list just kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, I'm here to talk about the song Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson from the 1988 album Bad. For me, we have to go back to the point um, that I actually had, I actually had that on vinyl. I still do. Actually, I, f- I found it again um, in a box somewhere when I was moving. Uh, and it's the, it's the original print of the thing from when it came out. Uh, and I used to carry it around everywhere I went. Um, this is a little kid, about two, three years old. And, uh, Everywhere I'd go, I'd try to have people play the the record for me. I'd ask, can you play this? Can you play this? Can you play this? Um, and as much as I loved the the album and looking at the album art and reading the lyrics when I could finally learn to read, uh, there was something about, I guess, the song Smooth Criminal, but more so, I think, as, as like an MTV kid seeing the video. Uh, it was a whole experience. Uh, that I think even artists today are still kind of chasing that. And I think some do a very good job. Uh, if you haven't seen Kanye West's Jesus is King film in IMAX, that's a, a whole experience. But that notion of how you uh, create a visual, artistic, creative, uh, immersive experience through a record. And there was, uh, for those that, you, that don't know, uh, first off, go watch the video. Like, take a few minutes and watch that thing because it's amazing. Uh, it's inspired by uh, an old Fred Astaire movie called Bandwagon. And the premise of the video is, um, it's like 1920 in that, in that kind of roaring 20s, you know, gangster uh, film noir kind of style. Uh, Michael Jackson walks into this hot jazz nightclub and... Um, sings the song and it's it's very very much like musical theater with these synchronized dance routines and all these interesting weird characters doing you know dynamic things uh you know and a lot of like shtick you know like uh there's a part where he goes up to a pool table and the cue ball pops off the table and you know michael grabs it out of the air and crushes it in his hand and blows it in this tough guy's face and and then goes dancing up the stairs he he shaman kind of thing uh you know there's a guy that comes with a giant like Bowie knife behind him and and because he's so smooth he doesn't even turn and look he just pulls the gun out and shoots the guy and he goes flying through the wall in that kind of comical uh, cartoonish kind of way and it's just it's just so entertaining it's so engaging all of the, the pieces moving together and um, of course it's also where the iconic um, 40 degree lean comes from uh where all the dancers like hit this move and they all do this deep deep lean that seems impossible and defies gravity so of course there's like the magic of how did he do that and that whole thing um it hits on so many levels that it just 
stole my imagination as a, as a child, you know, that I, I had learned every little dance step that I could, my little body could figure out. And so, you know, I put the record on and of course you have to go into the dance routine. And so there was always that entertainment piece of like this little three-year-old kid, all my curly hair bouncing around, like dancing like Michael Jackson. And I think, um, really, uh, that was like, I think really the spark that, kind of started the idea of like, this is what I would like to do with my life, you know, uh, that, that just brought so much joy to, to myself on a personal level, but also seeing the joy in, in others when they see some, something happening, there's a performance, there's an intention. When, when that thing starts to kind of click, you start to kind of put the pieces together that you can really create these magical moments, these things that, that take your breath away and, and make you wonder how do they do that? That's a, that's incredible. You feel, you feel inspired, you feel encouraged. It makes, I think the greatest gift an artist can give to another person is to inspire their, their own creative creativity. So it's not just about getting fans or saying, I love what you do more so than it is. It makes me want to go out and do something too. The, the lyricism is is very um, cinematic. It's very picturesque. Uh, it's a little bleak for a, a pop record. You know, it's about a woman who gets like murdered. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and they're trying to resuscitate. Uh, I assume her name is Annie. Uh, they keep asking Annie, "Are you okay?" So I, I assume her name is Annie. And and it's kind of a bleak thing. Like like oh yeah, and here's this story about a girl who gets killed cool and you know with this funky bass line and, and driving rhythm and uh the horn section and the arrangement with you know quincy jones uh kind of macro view of how to create an interesting piece of work uh so there's those flavors of of, of jazz and 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 funk that really drive the thing it, it literally shakes your molecules and that's something that i've also kind of taken uh as a lesson as uh, as a music creator playing it for for young children to really gauge their response because uh, they give you the most honest reactions um, that if a song is whack and it's just not doing it, they will let you know, boring, you know, they'll walk away, they'll, you know, but if there's something that's really infectious, they'll get up and dance, they'll, they'll laugh, they'll smile, they'll play. And it creates this, this dynamic um, that's not built around ego or trying to appease anyone. It's something that comes from, from a very just natural place. I think there's a part of the biggest legacy is not just as an inspiration, but the work that he provided changed the landscape of how music is presented. Um, it's almost to a point now where if you don't have a visual, it kind of goes unheard like you you have to kind of match that experience and engage you know more more senses um that the idea of the music video like that used to be a, this kind of promo thing you know like if you look at the old like prince music videos it's just like his band on a stage performing a song like it's like american bandstand or something you know where it's just like here's the record here we're playing it thanks go buy the record it's just another kind of promotional tool as opposed to seeing the opportunity to create its own body of work that can stand on its own, you know, with thriller, but, uh, using that kind of model to understand that you look at the kind of American tradition of the old, uh, American movie musicals, you know, singing in the rain, um, you know, wizard of Oz, that, that kind of thing where you in interject song, dance and performance within the narrative, uh, 
those kinds of whimsical things, like we culturally just eat that stuff up. All of the performers that sing and dance and, and entertain, especially then you put it in a, in a film and now you're 30 feet high, you know, it, it becomes this thing. that's larger than life. Um, and I think there, there is the, you can't separate those, those elements. They all work together in such a uh, perfect synchronicity that I think that's why Michael Jackson was so um, effective as a entertainer and also as a musician that he could hit all those things. Um, at such an expert level, you know, with, with, you know, really crisp, um, choreography and dance moves, uh, having a, um, some sort of narrative and story that would, would get you invested, uh, a good song to move you, but then also the interjection of this thing of the impossible. I think that's actually maybe the, the, greatest trick as a, as a musician and a magician, you know, is that there's always this, like, how is that possible? You know, you look at like, I mean, he turns into a zombie. Uh, he walks around and the floor lights up. Um, you know, like he turns in, in, the, in the movie Moonwalker, he turns into a giant robot and then turns into a spaceship. Like, and then a race car. I mean, it's like all of this stuff, like, like doing these impossible, magical, like larger than life things. Um that he, he no longer is a man. He's this superhero. He's this fantasy character, this, this uh, thing that's way out there. He's no longer one of us. And I think there's, that's, that's part of like kind of the, the Michael Jackson, like mythos um, that I think why he has such strong pop culture weight is that he became like a tall tale. You know, he's like Paul Bunyan, <laughs> you know, like, let me tell you the story about Michael Jackson and the werewolf, you know, <laughs> like, like that kind of thing. You know, he's a 20s gangster. So you get Thriller, which obviously was just this big record breaking, you know, anomaly. And then bad is the follow up. And, and I think what's interesting about that narrative to understand that, like, how do you follow up the biggest record of all records in American music history? <laughs> it's a big that's a big task. Um, I actually argue, you know, I've had a few rounds with some of my, my really close friends that bad is actually a better, more polished album than Thriller was. Uh, it's a you take you kind of take the model of what Thriller had established and then just like dial them up to 11. The ballads are smoother. The dance tracks are funkier. The rock is, is edgier. You know, it's like everything was just like at this fever pitch. The thing is thrillers organic. That's the difference. You know, it's the unexpected. What is this? You got to hear this thing versus where bad is like, we did it, but we did it better. And it's like, yeah, but we already, we're already in dude. Like, but it's not thriller. <laughs> um, and so we're kind of sits in this interesting in place because it's like, how do you follow up such th- something so big? And I think the ambition is there, you know, like working with, you know, bigger filmmakers, making feature length films, uh, doing crazy things like turning into robots. You know, it's like all of this stuff. It's like, how do you push the envelope even further creatively? Uh and so I come in at that point. That's, you know, so like I'm hearing arguably his his best commercial, most polished work. And that's my entry point. <laughs> uh, I, I learned about Thriller later. 
I don't know. It's just one of those things. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's cool. It's like kind of, it's kind of old, you know, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's definitely very, like very, very early eighties. Uh, like that cheesy duet he does with Paul McCartney where it's just like, it's so sappy, you know? Um, but then at the same time to think about it in, in the historical context of like Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson doing a duet together, you know, like he was kind of like the Justin Timberlake of the Beatles, mm. Arguably. <laughs> Any Beatles fans, please don't come for me. Don't don't at me. <laughs> I think my greatest strength and, and my biggest successes have come from the ability to synthesize uh, popular music into a, a theatrical experience. Um, understanding how a story is told, how to hit those certain beats, but also to know how all of those pieces work together to create those kind of breathtaking moments, it's more than just playing a good song. It's, it's really how to uh, capture someone's attention and allowing them to give themselves over to the experience when the lights do this or the music does that, you know, how to really just synchronize those things into something um, and synthesize it into something that is greater than just, I heard a great song once, or you have such a nice voice. Wow. You know, like where, where is, you know, how to heighten all of those, those emotions and, and to actually take, uh, an audience on that journey with you. And so they're not just watching they're they're experiencing and they're feeling, um, being able to be a part of some really big productions, um, that have a lot of history and weight, like being a part of rent and, and projects like that, being a part of Rocky horror, you know, you, you start to kind of understand like, what good music can do and how that can affect an audience, but also what can like the campiness and like how you bring costumes and characters to life and, and really like portray something and, and to actually think about the, the piece as a whole uh, and, and where those things can go and how those things can fit together to actually create those experiences. Um, that's not just, here's a song I wrote about the a girl that hurt my feelings, you know, like take me there. I want to, I want to be in that moment. I want to feel that heartbreak. We should all be kind of crying together by the end of the song. How do you get there? I think you have to, you know, there, there are a few different kind of tricks that, you know, uh, really allows an audience member to put their phones down and really like pay attention and, and invest. And I think, you know, being able to really kind of hit all of those things uh, with that kind of, uh, theatricality and that kind of intention uh, comes from that kind of inspiration of seeing someone else do it and do it in such a, an effective way. I'm wondering if Michael Jackson as a person mm. has that, has the like things he's done, has that affected your enjoyment of Michael Jackson, the performer. It's hard to separate the things. It really is. Uh, and it's something that like almost on a day by day basis, it, it, that, that feeling can go one way or another. Um, because there is the, the, the point of like what a, what a guy has done in his life. But I think it also applies to so many other artists. Um, I mean, you can look at what R Kelly has done, what Drake is doing. Um, what uh, David Bowie had done, Elvis Presley had done. These are all kind of similar narratives. Um, and how much do you 
invest in that or believe that or how much does it affect your feelings about the art um my general feeling or i guess my feeling today in this moment is uh that i think you know the art any kind of piece of art is is actually a it's a dialogue it's what the creator makes and is saying on their side of the conversation but also then what the viewer takes from it and has their own kind of interpretation and conversation with. So, you know, there's that kind of back and forth. So what he makes is my own kind of experience and journey. It has its own attachments to it. Right. So it's not just this song about Annie getting murdered. It's like this piece of my childhood being three years old and dancing around at my mom's job or hoping someone would have a record player so I could dance around in their house, you know, like those kinds of things. Like there's so much more to it than just like the song itself. It's contextualized by your own life. And so there is naturally a separation, but there should also be an accountability, you know, but at the same time, how much accountability can you have for a dead person? It's a, it's a really tough thing. Uh, you know, I think there's a systemic thing that's like, if it's really that serious, yeah, maybe radio stations should stop playing those records and stop giving it the kind of publicity to be as big to make those kind of royalties. But if I already bought the record, it's already kind of a done deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the record company has already cashed that check and, and they've moved on. Uh, so like, do I listen to it in private? It's in my own little, you know, it's in, is it in my, my earbuds and it's for nobody else? Or, you know, is it going to be uncomfortable if I'm like, at a party and I'm like, yo, put on that, you know, <laughs> um, I, I actually performed thriller at the, uh, capital city monster ball, uh, fundraiser. And I was real nervous, you know, like I haven't like, since the, the documentary came out, I have not touched any of the Michael tunes in my own sets. And so I thought, well, you know, it's Halloween, scary music, like, let's go for it. Let's just let's just throw Thriller in there and see how that lands. And uh, the horns hit and the, the room lit up. Didn't get booed. There were no torches or pitchforks. Um, so I know. I don't know. Maybe the, the, the music allows the space for forgiveness or, or something. I don't know. Madison Ray is about to release an album of reimagined Christmas classics titled XXXmas. The album will be released on November 29th, but you can listen to his rendition of Deck the Halls right now. Find that song and more information, including links to pre-order the album, at madisonray.net. Intro and outro music is from the song Familiars by the band Stubborn Tiny Lights versus Clustering Darkness Forever, okay? You can find all past episodes of Pivotal Tracks at anchor.fm forward slash pivotal tracks. There you also find links to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher app so you can make sure you'll get the next episode right when it comes out. Pivotal Tracks is produced by me, Ben Cron. Thank you for listening.